students can go ahead and be dismissed to their classrooms. Well, last week we started our new Remain sermon series, and we're, um, we're diving into the gospel story where Jesus is using this beautiful um, uh, imagery of his relationship with us through the vine and branches, and Bob hit on last week how Jesus represents the vine, we are the branches, and God the Father is the gardener overseeing it all, overseeing all of creation. We learn that in order to bear fruit, we have to stay connected to the vine. No healing or flourishing can be experienced in us or through us apart from being connected to the vine. And we also examined how all healthy branches must go through seasons of pruning. God prunes us in order to address parts of our lives that perhaps don't reflect him. So it might be a season where he makes your pride, your greed, your jealousy very apparent to you, and he gently walks you through the process of surrender, okay? So that you can bear more fruit in order to better reflect him to a hurting world. So we're going to just dive right in and continue in this story. Um, Open up to John 15. It should be page 1537 if you're using a pew Bible. We're going to be focusing mostly today on verses 3 and 4, but we need to give just a little bit of context to what's happening here, especially if you didn't join us last week. So Jesus had just finished eating the Last Supper with his disciples in the upper room. This is on the night before his death. Judas had already left to betray him, so that was set in motion. So those remaining with him listening to the words he's about to speak are the 11 true disciples, okay? So that's who he's speaking to here. So we're going to read John 15, verses 1 through 4. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean, because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So Jesus kicks off this section declaring he's the true vine. He's the the vine of vines, if you will. I want you to try to imagine a massive vine. I'm guessing some of you have maybe visited some awesome vineyards at some point in your life, and so you can do that easily. If not, I came across what is believed to be the oldest and the largest vine in the world. It's based near London. This is called the Great Vine, actually. Um, It was planted in 1768, which is incredible, and it produces around 600 pounds of grapes each year. One vine. One vine does that, okay? So this baby is a source of life, really, to everything that it touches. Fruit just flows from it abundantly, okay, in massive quantities. Jesus is that vine times a thousand, okay? 
times 1,000. He's infinitely greater. And just like that vine, if you're connected to him, fruit will flow from you, okay? Now, just a little bit after he declares he's the true vine, this is where we're really going to focus on for a while. Verse 3, he says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And if there's a verse that does not seem to fit in this whole story, it's verse 3, okay? So he's using this cool language, vine, branches, remain in me. Oh, by the way, you're clean. Huh? Is Jesus drinking a little too much wine? That's why he's rolling with these vineyard illustrations? I don't think so. What he's saying here is the, the clean individuals that he's talking about are the pruned ones. They're the pruned branches that he just referred to. In verses 1 and 2. In order to be pruned, you must bear fruit. Okay? You can only be pruned if you bear fruit. If you bear no fruit, what you are is cut off. Okay? You're not pruned. You're cut off. So he's speaking to his true disciples here. He's saying, you guys are clean. Because of what? Because of the word that he has spoken to them. John kicks off his gospel, John 1.1. If you have not seen this scene from The Chosen, go watch it. When he's writing verse 1 of the gospel, look it up. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is the word. He is God embodied. And these disciples, these 11 dudes he's talking to right now, had spent the last three years watching him closely and intently, listening him to pro proclaim who he was and proclaim God's truth in the kingdom of God for three years straight. And they believed him. Okay? They were not perfect. They made a ton of mistakes, but they believed that he was Christ the Lord. They trusted him and staked their lives to him. And because of that, he called them clean. Okay? He's called them clean. He's removed the stains of their sins. And while it might seem kind of obvious that those of us in Christ are viewed as clean. I don't think many Christians actually believe that to the core of their being. So hear me out. Perhaps this might resonate with you. You don't see anything spectacular about yourself. You have a tendency to beat yourself up when you fail. When will I? How could I? I wish I, if only I, are the beginnings of a lot of sentences that run through your head. Or maybe in your pride, you tend to think that you've got quite a few things figured out in life, and you don't have a clue. We often can go through life feeling like we're in a fog, okay? And because of this fog that we'll get to in a minute, it doesn't always feel like we are a redeemed and beautiful creation, and so we lose track of the glory inside of us. If we really believe to the core of our being that we are clean, our lives would look drastically different. Okay? To be clean, check this out, to be clean means that we are saints. Okay? We are saints when God the Father looks at us, he only sees the righteousness of Christ because Christ has covered us in his righteousness. We have been justified and adopted into God's family. We are complete in Christ. We are free from condemnation. 
We have been forgiven of all of our sins. Christ calls us the light of the world. We are God's temple. We are seated with him in the heavenly realms, and we can approach the Father with confidence because we are his children. That's who we are. Clean. Do you believe that? Do you believe that to the core of your being? Jesus says, you're clean. I've got you. You're good. Stop performing. You don't have to hustle or earn your worth. I've got you. Trust me. And while this sounds good and nice, this has been a real, real struggle throughout most of my life. I did not always believe that I was clean. Growing up in church my whole life, I would sometimes picture Jesus looking at me, pointing his finger in disgust. I believed he was disappointed in me. After all he endured, why can't I just get my act together? Why do I keep sinning and repeating it over and over? He had to be disappointed in me. That's what I thought for most of my life. I had a very low view of self, and because I falsely believed that he was disappointed, I started to hustle, right? Do more, try harder, do better. <laughs> this is the twisted, yes, this is the twisted gospel. Matt and I and Kenny joke about this so much. This is the twisted gospel that I believed for years it's exhausting, and it's an endless cycle that only leads you back to the place that you started, trying to pray more, do better, and try harder. And this is just not my struggle. Many Christians I talk to have a hard time believing that they're clean. I will never forget someone that came into my office here at Wellspring a couple years ago in a season of distress. We'll just say that. And they needed somebody to talk to, and so they chose me. And they come in my office and just kind of lay it out, and they are just broken. And I asked them a question that I like to ask people. Um, I said, if, 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 if Jesus himself was physically here in this moment, what do you think he would say to you? I asked them this. And they said something alluding to this. Well, Jesus would tell me that I just need to have more faith and try to do a better job. I said, I don't think so, man. I don't think so. I think Jesus would smile at you and want you to know how deeply he cares for you. He would tell you that he sees you in this moment, in the pit, and he would want you to know that he's with you and that you are not alone. If we see God as something to strive for to attain, we'll always be discouraged. And disappointed in our faith because we can never earn our way to Christ's heart. Can never earn our way to his acceptance. I want to show you guys an awesome quote from the book The Cure by John Lynch. He says, this life in Christ is not about what I can do to make myself worthy of his acceptance. But about daily trusting what he has done to make me worthy of his acceptance. I want you to leave that up there for a minute. I want to get reflections on that. What do you guys think about that? What hinders you from believing that truth? Or 
How would believing that change your life? What do you guys think? The floor's open. This is really rich, guys. What do you think? What hinders you from believing that to be true? And how would your life change if you did believe that? Come on, people. Am I coming in a little too hot? Yes, read. Think. Sorry, maybe you've had it up for a while. Mm, okay. Like, seems too easy. Yeah. Okay. He's saying it's it's kind of seems like action by no action. It's hard to accomplish something by doing nothing. Yeah. Ooh, that's good. He just asks us to trust. Yeah. What else? What do you guys think? Yeah, he's saying everything in us, especially in our culture as Americans, we are ingrained. we got to perform, right? You want the promotion? You better work your rear off to get it. You want in that school? You better work your rear off. And God, God just says, just trust me. It's not natural. It goes against everything that's been really indoctrinated in us. When we believe that we're clean, when we believe that we're worthy of his acceptance because of what he's done, We're free to stop performing, like Matt just said. When I began to see myself as clean, I started to understand that there's nothing I could do or not do that would make God love me any more or any less. It was settled. His heart towards me, I've come to know, is not conditioned by my performance, by how good of a boy or bad of a boy I might be on any given day. And when that started to click in my head and in my heart, I was free to live. Live this short little vapor of a life that I've been given. I could trust that he's got me and loves me as much as he can right now, just as I am. Look at verse 4 again. Jesus says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You notice a word he's trying to repeat there? In these two verses alone, John uses the word remain four times. If you looked at his entire gospel, you'd find the word remain 40 times. If you read his other New Testament books, you'd find him use the word remain 27 times. So 67 times, this is John, arguably Jesus' closest friend. This theme of remaining was close to his heart. And this, this, this remaining that Jesus is talking about, it's not a suggestion. He's not saying, hey, I think this would be a good idea, right? You should consider this. This is a command. 
Okay, this is a command. And he knows that's not something that's going to happen naturally. It will have to be an intentional pursuit, an intentional decision after decision, day after day. So think about, you know, if I'm a branch, this is awkward. If I'm a branch, whatever branches look like, you know, I'm not scoping around, looking around like, oh, am I bearing fruit? If I am, is it good? Is it, is it thick? Is it juicy? I'm not worried about that. All I need to know and to focus on is, hey, am I connected to the vine? Okay? Is there anything that's a barrier to the vine? Right? Any gaps or any, anything cut off that needs to be addressed? Hebrews 12.2 says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on the vine because he is full of strength and power. He has the nutrients that we need. He will provide fruit through me. I just got to fix. We've got to fix our eyes on him. But here's the key. Check this out. This is where we're going to take kind of a different turn from where this verse usually goes. Remain in me, he says, as I also remain in you. The second part of this sentence is the one that's often neglected. And I did some Google searching, and man, there's not a lot there. You really got to be specific in your wording to get this concept to pop up, even on Google. Jesus says, I also remain in you. So he isn't just asking us to cling to him. He's already clinging to us, okay? He is clinging to us. It's as almost if he's asking us to return the hug, okay? The hug that he's already giving us, he's saying, hey, will you embrace us? Rather than standing off distant, cold, feeling unworthy to be loved by me. The focus can so easily be on us and what we've got to do, right? Pray more, do better, memorize this many Bible verses, whatever it might be. And of course, those are good things. But look at it from the other direction. Every day, Every morning we wake up, God is already choosing us, okay? He's already remaining in us, and he's committed to us every day. Of course, you know, the big picture is he resides in us through his spirit. But in addition to that, scripture calls God the father of all mercies. And this is a part I think we miss a lot. He is gentle his heart is tender towards us, and he is kind. That is his heart towards us. He extends his tender heart to us every day and is committed to us. Anne Voskamp, in her book, The Broken Way, which my summer interns loved last year, they hated it. I don't know why. This is what she says. She's dropping bombs. You may believe in God, but never forget, it's God who believes in you. He believes in the story that he's writing through you. He believes in you as a gift the world needs. And she says, Christ is in me, so God can't help but believe in me. That is a different concept than what I heard most of my life growing up. God, Christ is in you, so he can't help but believe in you. He is our champion and our advocate. He has your best interests in mind. So in many ways, us remaining in Christ is really just a response to what he's already done and to the invitation that he gives us every single day. 
He's committed to us, and understanding that it should be that should be the motivation for us to want to cling to him, to return the hug to him, if you will. Why wouldn't we want to be connected to such a gentle and tender and kind Savior? Remaining in Christ is the only appropriate response to the kindness that he has given us. Amen? Let's take a minute now. I want to look at a few other sections of John's writings. Um, and this really emphasizes remaining in Christ, focus more on our response. So he says, uh, anyone who goes too far and does not remain in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who remains in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. It's First John 2. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked in John 8. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. So because of Christ's commitment to us, he keeps driving home this importance of remaining. But man, we struggle to do it, don't we? We struggle to do it. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, my tendency to view God as disappointed in me, that hindered me from loving him back and re really just kind of, I guess, receiving his love in the first place. Because if you have an earthly father or an earthly mother or even a friend and they only show their approval of you when you do good things, are you compelled to be around them that much? In your dark moments, they shame you. They criticize you and condemn you. Nobody's drawn to that type of person. That's what kept me from responding to him. And so thankfully, my view of God has really shifted throughout the years. And that idea that he's disappointed has mostly been shattered. I'm far from perfect. But I do believe now that he is good and that he is not disappointed in me. And it has taken me years to really believe that to the core of my being. I want us to focus now on a few minutes on an aspect of our spiritual life that I don't think gets as much talk as it should. So here it is. We're going to talk about enemy. We have an enemy. If you did not know that, just kind of pay attention to what happens in the next week or turn on the news for five minutes and you'll discover that something's desperately wrong, right, with this world. So we have an enemy Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him, and his mission is to disconnect us from the vine, okay? He knows if Christians actually believe that Christ is for them, and if we respond to his kindness, he knows that he is in trouble. His mission is to disconnect us, and so anything he can do, no matter how big or small, to disconnect us is a victory for him. And one of his most famous tactics is lying to us, okay? Scripture calls him the father of lies. And he does everything in his power to get us to believe lies, and he baits those lies according to your unique personalities and the way you're wired, because he studied you since the day you were born, okay? So here's how this can play out. If you're naturally pretty prideful, he will do anything to feed into that. So any way he can get you to think, I'm not too bad. You know, maybe I just need to tweak this and this, 
and then I'll be good. I don't need a total overhaul of my heart, right? That's for the really messed up people. That's for the people getting like professional counseling that are really broken, right? If he can get you there, he's won the victory that day. If your natural bent is to be critical of yourself, then he will try to get you to believe lies that say you're a failure. Look around this room. You don't have your act together like most of these people. Look how messy your life is. You actually believe that God is good? If he can hook us and make us agree with one of those lies, then it's game over. He has won the battle that day. We will remain distant from Jesus because we'll either fail to trust that he's good or we'll believe that we're not good enough to be loved by him. Either one of those is a victory for him. He'll take either one. In my last sermon, I said that if we say that we love Jesus, then we must also love his word, right? We have to love his word. It's the primary way that he speaks to us so that we might know him and obey him. And it's through his word that we come to understand the truth. And it's from being connected to that truth that we're able to detect any thoughts, suggestions, influence, or teachings that are false. Okay? And the quicker that we can detect lies and attacks from the enemy, the longer and the, the better we can stay connected <laughs> to the vine. Right? But we've got to be able to detect them. And we've got to know the truth first so that we know anything else. Help us to quick, better detect that it's false. And here's really the bottom line, church. If you want your life to make no eternal difference, if you don't care about the flourishing and healing of your own heart and other people, then all you have to do is not remain in Christ. It's really that simple. You can build your little kingdom here on earth, accumulating a lot of wealth and bigger and fancy toys, but you won't bear fruit. You'll have really nice things that are very impressive to friends and family and social media, but you will not be someone that other people can look to and say, that is a man, that is a woman after God's heart. That is someone that walks with Jesus, and man, that is compelling. I want to follow them as they follow Christ. That is my desire, to be someone that people look at and say, that's a dude that knows the Lord. I know that's your desire too, or I hope it is. And guys, as we come to the communion table today here in a few minutes, we get to remember and celebrate that Christ has declared us clean, okay? If you have staked your life to his, you are forgiven. Your eternal destiny is secured, okay? Your, your, your right standing with God, all of that has been settled, okay? We get to take some time to give him gratitude and express our heart and tell him how much we love him. Do you believe that God is committed to you every day, that he is remaining in you? Are you responding to his commitment? Are you responding to his tender heart? Wherever you find yourself, 
man, I urge you to say yes to the invitation. The invitation to have an intimate walk and relationship with him. He delights in you. He's committed to you. He's remaining in you. You are the apple of his eye. If you believe that, it will change the course of your life. Amen? All right, I'm going to pray for us, and then um, I believe the the ushers will uh, dismiss you each by row. You can come forward, take a piece of the bread, dip it in the juice, and we have uh, gluten-free options if that is something you need as well. Uh, Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for this passage, God, and specifically for your commitment to us. God, you're not asking us to put in all this work and effort. What you're asking us is just to respond to all the work that you've done. And that just feels almost too easy, <laughs> too good to believe, God. And in a lot of ways it is, because we certainly don't deserve your kindness. But God, help us to respond. Respond to the invitation and to the warm embrace that you were offering us right now. And that you offer us every day. God, help us to believe that your heart is tender, gentle, and kind. God, if our tendency is to err more on pride or self-condemnation, Lord, meet us there. You know specifically what we need to hear in order to believe in better shape our view of you, God, to have a proper perspective of how you view us. And it's not, it's not in disappointment. It's in pure delight and joy as your children, God. Help us to see you that way. Lord, just hear our prayers during this time of silence.